I wonder if any of you know or remember the story behind Valentine's Day. Where that comes from and why we celebrate that as a holiday. Um, we know it's Valentine's Day for a reason, uh, but what is it? Where does it come from? Well, I did a quick internet search trying to figure out, and uh, I found a lot of stories, uh, a lot of different stories. The challenge is they didn't all agree, and so I didn't know which one was really the true story. Uh, so I want to share with you the History Channel's version, and I put on the screen a couple of the uh, uh, stained glass uh, uh, and artist depiction um, and if you guys don't mind, turn the projector on the back as well, and that way I can see what everybody else is seeing too. Uh, let me show you what um, the History Channel says. In about 278 A.D., Valentine was a priest in Rome, and it was during the time and the days of Emperor Claudius II. He was also called Claudius the Cruel. Uh, a lot of wars going on, a lot of campaigns going on um, that were very unpopular, very bloody. And so it was a challenge, ongoing challenge for him to keep his military strong. You have these constant wars, he's losing people, so he's always enlisting help. The difficult came, though, because uh, those who were married didn't want to leave. They didn't want to leave their family. They didn't want to leave their wives because they knew it was very likelihood they would lose their lives. And so Claudius banned all marriages. All of them. Well, nobody liked that. But Valentine, realizing the injustice of all of that, he defied Claudius and would secretly perform marriages for couples who wanted to be married but when his actions were discovered, Claudius ordered him to be put to death. He was arrested, brought before him. He was condemned to be beaten by death with clubs and have his head cut off. And that happened on Valentine's Day, February 14th, about the year 278. Now, it wasn't called Valentine's Day then. But because of his service, he was called a saint after his death in the Catholic Church. Now, legends also vary as to... Why his name was connected with romance. Some would say that during the time he was in prison waiting for his sentence to be executed, that so many of these couples that he married and others also wanted to support him for standing up for Christian marriage. And so they would bring him flowers and gifts and, and tokens of appreciation. They wanted to know that they also believed in love. Legend also tells us that Valentine left a farewell note for the jailer's daughter, that they had become friends during his time of being incarcerated, and he signed it from your Valentine. Now, another detail, some say the date of his death may have been mingled with a pagan feast. Have you noticed how many of our holidays have their history in a pagan feast? And this is one of those. Uh, there was a feast of Lupercalia, is what it's called. It was the pagan festival of love. During these festivals, see, the names of young women were placed in a box from which they were drawn by men. And I, I had a throwback. You remember when you were in grade school and you had a Valentine box? Well, their, their goal with that box was not so sweet. And I'm just going to leave it at, at that. But 200 years after that, the Pope decided to put it into the Feast of Lupercalia, and he declared February 14th as St. Valentine's Day. So now, you know. Everyone loves love. We want to be loved, we want to give love. The problem is, is our humanity comes out, and our love is lacking. 
just as we are. It's often conditional upon our own mood or maybe the actions of the one that we are to love, their behavior, maybe their appearance, their attitude. And when it all comes to love, we come short. And also, in the sense, even like Valentine's Day, we kind of confuse love with romance. As if that's what Valentine's Day is all about. I appreciate that our widows and widowers got a Valentine's Day today because it's not just about romantic love. It's about true love. But when it comes to love, we all fall a little short. And we get confused. Like little five-year-old Carrie who told her teacher, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. You've heard that before. Well, here's my question for today. How do we remain in God's love? Those are words from Jesus himself. How do we remain in God's love? How do we develop and nurture this love worth giving? I want to kind of share this as a thought as we kind of close out our Sunday and, and think about the week and Valentine's coming up on Sunday. I think the answer is found in John 15 from the words of Jesus himself. Now, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles. They're not going to be on the screen. The text we're just going to read from John 15. And read what Jesus says about love here. John 15, beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is a familiar passage. Jesus had a lot to say about love. And this, the final night he's with his disciples, this is no exception. During the course of John chapters 13 through 17, this evening it kind of plays out. We see that Jesus shares love a lot, a lot of talk about love. One author says he used the word love no less than 30 times in only 18 verses in these chapters. But it really didn't take a Bible scholar to realize Jesus meant, uh, love meant a lot to Jesus. And it was central to his message. And I think zeroing in this brief excerpt, we see how Jesus revealed that, how he explained it. So if you fill in the blanks, the first one of this, it all begins with receiving his love. Receiving his love. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world. So his time with his disciples was limited. What do you say? What do you remind them? What do you make sure they know? What do you cover? You've got this moment to say goodbye. This moment to share what really matters. What do you talk about? He spent that time talking about love. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. He says, I love you. And he told them. He loved them. And he loves us too. And it's good for us to know that. I once heard this said by a preacher. Maybe you've heard it too. Everything I need to know about theology, I learned just from one song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. 
Do you know the origin of that song? It first appeared in a poem in a children's novel by Anna Warner in 1859. One of the characters in that novel said those words to a child who was dying. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. A couple of years later, William Bradbury stumbled across those words and he wrote a tune, the music to it, added a chorus. And with months, within months, that song just spread all over America. It became just the best known song. Everybody was singing it. It's been translated into so many languages, sung around the globe. It is like a number one choice for missionaries because it's so simple. It's easy to learn. It's easy to sing. But why? Why is this song so universally known in love? Think about it. It expresses the single most significant profound truth known to humanity. Jesus loves me. We really never move beyond that. Jesus loves me. One author said three years of seminary and the masters of divinity won't teach you anything more than that line of that song. Receiving the love of Jesus and living in his love every day is the first and most essential part of this whole idea of just knowing who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Look what he says just a few verses earlier in verse 5, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, if you draw close to Christ, you stay connected to Him, He funnels love into you, through you, and then you've got this love worth giving, this love worth having, this love worth sharing. And His love is characterized by service. He's looking at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than He lay down His life for His friends. You probably already have that verse marked in your Bible. That's exactly what Jesus was about to do. That's exactly what he did. And notice that the greatest love is not necessarily romantic love. It could be. Not just between a husband and wife. He's talking about here just sacrificial love. That's the greatest love. Greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. So you receive his love. Now for you that may be automatic. Well of course I receive it. But that's the first step that you need to make sure that you do just that. Well, here's the second step. You return his love. When you acknowledge Jesus loves me. So it's beautiful about saying that. But then also part of that is that you then love Jesus. You return it. See, in Jesus' day, a rabbi's disciples were generally known as their servants. He was the master. His followers were the servants. But Jesus changes that here. He puts them on a level playing ground. They're friends. Look at verse 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father I've made known to you. The God of heaven calls you a friend and wants you to think of him that way. See, it's one thing to say Jesus loves me. It's another thing to say, I love Jesus. To be able to say, I love Jesus. And how much is that love for Jesus reflected in your daily life? We can sing, oh, I have loved Jesus, but do we really mean it? Jesus said the first and greatest command is this, and I put this on the screen, Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
So our love for God must be the driving force in our lives. We never move past this. If everything we do isn't spurred by the love of God and the love for people, then nothing really matters. So how does returning God's love manifest itself in practical ways? What does it look like? We just say those words, what does it actually look like? Well, I would say it's no different than any other kind of love with a friend or someone that you have this kind of sacrificial love for. It's built on trust and communication, even adoration. Now, the Bible words we'd use for that, trust would be faith, communication, prayer, adoration, worship. They mean that much to you. The thing about loving Jesus, though, is our love for him needs to be all-consuming. And I thought about that personally. I thought when I first came to know Celia and know that I loved her, I thought about her all the time. And it's more than just romantic love, but it starts there. But think about when you become a parent of a child. That love for that child, born or adopted, is instant and deep and bigger than yourself. And even as you age, your love for your parents continues to grow, even after they've left this world. You still love them. You want their acceptance. You want their approval. That love is powerful. And that love permeates every relationship that's close to us. Going right along with what Paul says in Romans 12, loving Jesus means this. Look at the way the message renders it. You're familiar with it from the uh, New King James or the NIV, but look how the message says this. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's loving God. That's loving people. So as we continue to receive and return God's love, then the third one, the third step, if you will, is you share it. You receive it, you return it, and then you share it. Repeatedly through this passage and through the rest of the chapter, Jesus said, look at verse 17, this is my command, love each other. This is my command, love each other. Once we receive the love of Jesus into our lives and we return his love, then we're ready to share his love. But the rest of the world, and Jesus was really specific here about how to love people. Look at John 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. This commandment removes any barriers that would limit the scope and the intensity of this love. We are to love as he loved. He gave his all, sacrificial, selfless, fully. Just hours before this statement, he demonstrated it. This may be what we remember most about this night. Not just what he said, but what he did. Remember what he did as they came into that room and had this moment together? Wearing open-toed sandals, men, in normal weather, your feet would be very dusty. If it was rainy, your feet would be very muddy. So their custom then was to have a basin. And a clean towel. And the servant would wash the feet of those entering. Just We might go to someone's house and, and, and go to their bathroom to wash our hands. After petting their dog or doing whatever. It's just, that's just kind of the custom. That was their custom. As the disciples reached the upper room. Do you remember the story? They had to see. If they didn't see, expect to see. The basin there. The towel there. But there was no one to do the job. 
So they all gathered around the table without going through that washing. And then something amazing happens. Turn back to John 13. Look at verses 4 through 5. John 13, verses 4 through 5. Kind of picking up the story there. He got up from the meal, talking about Jesus, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the creator of the world, got on his knees and washed human feet. That's amazing. What a spirit of humility. What, what a demonstration of, of sacrifice. What showing what he just said about you're my friends. You're my friends. Look at how verse 3 opens. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. This wasn't a momentary lapse of forgetting who he was. He knew who he was. He knew why he came. I understand this morning in Bible class, our young people in Faith Farm had this very thing. They had their feet washed. If you've never had your feet washed, it's a memorable thing. Even if it's part of a Bible class, you remember that. It's a little embarrassing, a little uncomfortable. We're not used to people doing that to our feet. And yet, that's what Jesus did. What's even more amazing when we realize this was a demonstrative, demonstration not just his humility and service, but of his love. Listen to this quote by Anne Graham Lotz. She wrote this about the night. Looking back on that night, John must have recalled the tender tone of his voice, the loving look on his face, the gentle grace of his gestures, the piercing passion in his eyes, the princely posture of his person, and been awestruck that Jesus had expressed his love for his disciples to the utmost degree of which he was capable through serving them. As we think about love, the way God uses the word, the way God teaches us here, as we seek to grow in our capacity to love, have a love truly worth having, worth giving, let's look to Jesus to learn to love like Him. St. Valentine may have become famous for defying the emperor and standing up for Christian marriage, and we're thankful that he did, but what really made him significant, I think, is that he loved God more than his own life. He was willing to do what was right, even though it was illegal. He received the love of Jesus. He returned the love. And he shared that love with others. I think the church more than anything else needs to be people who are love. That's how others will know. Isn't that what Jesus said? That we're his by our love for one another. To be that community of love. That anyone who come in here would feel that. Know that. That is who we are. To accept us unconditionally just like Jesus does. And then help us to take those next steps. In following Him and submitting to Him and obeying Him. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll obey me. I put this on the screen, the last blank on your outline. Nothing, according to Jesus, nothing is more important than loving God and loving people. 
That's the greatest command. You don't move past this. If we love each other as God loved us, then we'll be, become that church that is like a magnet drawing people to Jesus. Because we're loving like Jesus loved. People who are starving for love. And they'll come to know Jesus and hear of His salvation. Our invitation is for us to receive the love, return the love, and to share the love. Tonight, if we can pray for you in any way, or if you're ready to be baptized, we always have the water ready. Why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.